0: straight out of Gibraltar, sponsored by Coca-Cola. Welcome to Straight Outta Gibraltar, bringing you interviews and all the best music from the Gibraltar music scene. If you like what we do, like us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Straight of Gibraltar.
1: Hey guys, welcome once again to Straight Outta Gibraltar. It's a brand new episode and today is Wednesday, the 23rd of January, and obviously we're looking at a very cold day through a window right now, but unfortunately... Beyond our control. I wish we could control the weather, but we can't. I would love the sun, but we can't. But but moving on to the positive side, we're back with a brand new episode and a brand new guest. We've been plugging it for a few days now. As to who our guest will be, and a lot of people seem happy, and a lot of people have been sharing so, as well, the fact that you're going to be on the show. So, I'm going to introduce my guest, and obviously, they will probably get to know his musical journey from when he started to present day. So, welcome, Nigel Gunnabur from The Views. Thank you, David. Thanks for having me. So, how are you doing today, Nigel, despite the cold? Not too bad, yeah. Busy day at work, but it's, it's been all right, so... It, it, yeah well I'm glad to have you on as well. So Nigel we're gonna start with a very simple question like I ask all my guests anyway, the, the very simple question is how was what was the evolution like for you to start into music obviously, obviously you obviously watch it from a young age to present day so
2: yeah I think from a young age I've always I've always had an interest in rock music. I used to skate when I was young so just being at the skate park listening to rock songs that was it uh, already that kind of sparked the interest I had in in, in rock. Mostly, um, obviously at school I had uh, I had some great music teachers, which really inspired me. Um, and then just growing up, I just felt like music was my passion, and I yeah. kept uh, kept you know going towards music in the sense that I would, I would play the guitar. I'd want to learn you know the drums. I play a little bit of the drums. Um, so that's kind of my my journey up to around maybe sixteen, I'd say. Um, playing the guitar, I started around. 10 years old maybe a bit older maybe 11, 12 uh, I started with with Philip Valverde who was a dear friend um, you know I did some lessons with him and then um, you know was self-taught since, since then onwards
1: and it's I think it's Brilliance in the fact that you can be self-taught nowadays. obviously you can find the tabs online, and even just play around a little bit. Maybe make tracks your own in every sense of the word. But what was it like, obviously, still under the guidance of Philip? I considering the legacy that Philip has in the local music
2: scene. It was brilliant. Uh, a lot of the tracks that we played are the ones that he, you know, currently plays live. So he taught me things like dire Straits, which is very, very Philip. You know, yeah. Um, and the range of songs that I learned with him really allowed me to discover all sorts of music and to play different styles um so you know philip kind of sparked everything off in sense in the sense of playing the guitar and the guitar world yeah.
1: And it's a great thing as well because the fact that he's been around for so long and he's been in the many musicians have been under his guidance, even when he used to produce the National Day concerts and anything else of that nature. But his instrumental, and he's not he does really shy away to play maybe the classical stuff, he just goes for maybe what you like. And what he's like, he's mentioned it's what he does live, like Dire Straits is very rock and roll, anything rock is like you know, Philip's gonna play. I remember seeing him. I think it was a few weeks ago, um, just a few weeks ago, a month ago, you know, the pancreatic cancer awareness concert. And it just shows me he did Purple Rain and he does it in his own style and yeah. it works. Yeah, And it's like, hmm. You know, one of those things, but in a very good way. You know, he actually manages to m- make her, himself aware as to what's in around in the scene worldwide and relevance as well. Exactly, yeah. and it's a very bonus, a big, very good bonus. And you look, and you mentioned there, your music teachers, of course, you had Chris Cordes and you yeah. had Mr. Russell and, and many others. So, what was it like to be around Chris and, and Nathan Russell as well?
2: Yeah, I, I mean, mostly Chris Nathan. I was slightly younger. I was about. I was in year nine. Yeah. but i had chris uh for year 10 and 11 for my gcc years and a level um and it was it was a lot of fun his lessons were very fun uh the, the annual christmas concert was always a blast um and he really made an effort to to put us on yeah. you know put us on the stage and to for us to really rock out and that was kind of very early experiences for me of, of live gigs at the same time i was playing with hamburger thieves yeah. i'm sure we'll go into that yeah later um but really you know school concerts were the start for me and chris really made an effort with us so i'm really appreciative of that you know he he showed us how to perform not just how to play music but how to perform
1: so, yeah. and it's pretty cool as well. Like, we talked about philip but the same with chris it's to be under the guidance of probably one of the most elite and as well and when not just being taught by him but being around the likes of jesse mclaren which we'll get into obviously Simon numas and many others what would you say was so special about that class in particular? The, everyone talks about that being the start of
2: the youth movement as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think um, we had very good musicians in that that year group. Um, you know, well, Jesse's a year younger than me. But we had some excellent musicians that really um, encouraged others. That was the important thing, really. Um, I mean, Jesse's a far superior guitarist than, than what I am. But he was always willing to have me on stage playing with him and always willing to coach me so we could play very similar songs on you know school concerts um it was great like like i said we had a lot of great musicians um that year obviously the dumas brothers as well um so yeah my my school sort of music years were were filled with a lot of fun and a lot you know really good music and it's
1: great as well because there's so much originality that's come from there. Obviously, the many originals, obviously, which we'll get in, into in a little bit. But it, it was more the fact that if, I want to say the term kids. I don't want to say, I don't like using it, but it's the truth. Um, it's basically the fact that we have like 16 year olds, 17 year olds, even 15 year olds back then, and mid yeah. drifted a lot later as well, like 14, 15. But there was all original music, you know. You'd see them perform covers, but at the same time, we're like, "Oh, we've got this track of ours, which is specially for this age range, or which which is the track that you chose specifically about that theme." Yeah. But it's like everything else; it's it just changed everything, you know. I think from the adults to the kids, there wasn't even a comparison. You know, you'd say, "Oh, I like him," and you could put him on the same pause as Area Fifty Two at the time or any other band that was relevant. Jetstream was just also starting out shortly after that as well. So there's many things that have happened yeah. in that movement, within that movement anyway. And obviously when you look at the positives, and obviously like you mentioned, to even have some like Jesse who's probably been around it his entire life, and but at the same time to actually tell you, okay, come on stage, and like to not shy away from the challenge. Yeah. Yeah. What was that like for you?
2: That was really good because um, the difference with, with, with Jesse and I is that uh, I'm, kind of the first musician of my family uh, my parents are not musicians my grandparents are not with Jesse he had the influence of his father and his you know his relatives so you know he, he was already quite experienced by the time we were playing the school concert so just for him to be able to say you know come along and, and play um, you know obviously a couple of songs it wasn't many in the school concert that we we would do uh, that was really cool at the same time um, I was playing with obviously Robert Ben Susan who was in my my music class um, and we kind of, we formed a quads obviously we had Smitty on the drums um, I remember it was one of the last years of school, I think I was possibly in A2 um, we did a cover of the Beatles' uh, Helter Skelter in our own little rock version um, we made it our own and again Jesse really helped to make that our own and showed me how he wanted things. It was kind of his vision of the song. And that was excellent. There's a video of that as well. I think might be worth
1: sharing. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll have to check it out. Yeah, yeah. And obviously, without forgetting, obviously, people like Jamie Wanderlifer as well, the power that Jamie had. And I think Jamie, I don't think there's ever a day when, or even when I record this show that I'll never mention him because he was so instrumental from yeah. such a young age, you know, just being in awe when I saw him with Raph, the things he was doing then, and, yeah. and everything that he did after that with um, Roberts and Jeremy Pettis as well. But so many things, you know, it's, that age group, I think, is like the elite. When you yeah, There was yeah. the elite when Chris was in school, you know, Chris mm-hmm. Cortez, he mentions it a lot, with Christian Santos, and uh, Dylan Fedro and Jerry Martin, and Jerry Simpson now. Yeah, And so that group was the elite back then. Then you guys came along, and the, the, it's just... A whole different dynamic, because then again, the digital age completely changed everything when it came to local music.
2: Yeah, I have good memories of, uh, of James Monterifo. He was in my, in my A-level class. Uh, the three guitarists then were myself, Robbie, and James. So once a week, we would sit downstairs with Richard Gomila, and we'll have a one-to-one lesson. Uh, James was always an excellent guitarist, as, as far back as I remember, which I, I think I met him in, in year eight, so the start of Comprehensive. Um, and you know, at the time of his death, he was an excellent guitarist. I, you know, yeah. probably one of the best in Jib. I, I'd like to say.
1: I agree um, with him.
2: Very skilled with loop pedals, and and the thing about him, he was very versatile, and I really liked that about him. So.
1: And his dad was um, speaking to us about this when we held the first Michael Lennon Award, and obviously we presented it to Jamie. And obviously, he was talking about the fact that he would buy a pedal and then just manufacturers. And even Or even tweak it to, to his liking and it, it worked, you know, and that's what Jamie was. Yeah. And I think it's like you mentioned, the versatility that he had was incredible. I remember just seeing him one moment when he was in the rough stuff and then all of a sudden he was doing stuff like um, Jack uh, Johnson or anything else with Jeremy yeah. and Roberts, and it worked. You know, it's like, yeah. it's that dynamic and even that, that versatility that I dare say made him a great musician. And obviously he was doing stuff with Manatee as well like mm-hmm. shortly before his death yeah which would i would have loved to have seen i remember yeah. being in awe when i found out i'm like that's something i really got to see yeah and it it would have worked in every sense of the word i think jamie had that power to mm-hmm. make it work definitely and going back to that, those teenage years mentioned just mclaren and you mentioned um smithy and obviously you mentioned rob obviously carl was in the all the keyboards as well obviously the noise yeah. are yeah. the ones that really apart from this side up came a little bit later but the noise were the ones that pretty much broke the mould and said, OK, we can gig like the adults and let's just go out there and do it. Absolutely, yeah. So what was it like to see maybe your friends or even like people that you look up to, even though they're younger than you, to actually go and take the plunge?
2: Yeah, that, that was brilliant. I, I have fond memories of you know, them playing in summer nights. Um, and that was really good. As you say, they were breaking the mould and showing that they weren't adults, but they could do that. And it often sounded excellent. Uh, at the same time, I was obviously playing with Hamburger Thieves and we we were trying to break the mould, but we we were always a little heavier than, than the noise, not so commercial. Uh, but that was always really cool to see that, you know, kids my age were doing things like that, National Day Rock Concert, for example. Yeah. So, yeah, it was great. And obviously, tell us about Hamburger Thieves, about that journey.
1: How, how did that happen?
2: Yeah, Hamburger Thieves, it's, it's an interesting story. It, it started with a YouTube video. <laughs> um I posted a, a cover on YouTube of, of myself playing a Jimi Hendrix song. And at the time, hamburger thieves were already quite, you know, quite established, especially at, you know, in the rock on the rock scene. Yeah. So uh, a mutual friend of mine and Sean's, Rachel Byas, she um, was approached by Sean to find a guitarist. Um, their guitarist had left. So she showed him the video and, uh, you know, my YouTube video and Sean got in touch So I kind of had um, a bit of a like an audition, but a very informal audition in the band room at the time, which was under Rock on the Rock. It was uh, it was me, uh, Jerry, Sean. I think Jerry's girlfriend was there, and I just played a little bit, and then they they just said, "Yeah, like you know, join us. We need a guitarist. Let's do this." So I was with them for a little while. I played a few gigs, a few really good gigs. such as the, the students party, the GSA party, yeah. a few of those really nice gigs. Um, and then, you know, it kind of all, all just fell apart. At the time I was studying, I was an A-level student. Um, so really my studies needed to take over. I was planning to go to uni. So that, you know, that all just broke down. Yeah. Um, I think it's also possibly that there are less and less people interested in, in live bands, I think. I've definitely noticed, I mean, I played at Rock on the Rock last weekend and compared to the audiences we used to get, you know, yeah. Hamburger Thieves used to get, um, it seems like less and less people are willing to go and see a live band. They seem to care more for a laptop on, on a table. You know, yeah. you know what I mean? Um, so it's been interesting because when I left these these guys originally, the music scene was at a, at a high you know, yeah. and now I'm not sure it is. I'm kind of torn between thinking there's some excellent bands, but there isn't quite the same crowd that there used to be.
1: I think it's all about the fact that maybe local, maybe I'm. I'm this is me being a bit biased, but I think maybe it's the fact that local music is not getting the right medium and the right platform in every sense of the word. I feel it can't just be a one-off, it can't just be doing this or doing that. It has to be, okay, you got this record, take it wherever you can, wherever you possibly can. I'm on Spotify, which helps, iTunes, all these platforms. But it's not being shared enough. It's always going to be shared by the same people. And I can relate because it happens, even with us with the GLMS stuff, that we always see the same people sharing on or the same people liking comments or commenting. It's like, you know, where's that balance? Where's that curiosity, you yeah. know, to listen to something new? And I think that's what the pro- where the problem lies, that people are too loyal to the guns and they're like oh i don't want to listen to something i just want to listen to what i've always heard and if you give them something new they'll probably decline probably that's and or unfortunately it's also the circumstances of the music worldwide but that's i think a topic for a very long day where we don't play any music on the show yeah but anyway we're going to play the first track and of course it's a very good track it's one of my favorites from the from this particular band which, which we spoke about as well which was the noise so This is Friday nights at the bus stop, which I think every teenage kid from at least from your time can relate to as to what the song is about. And obviously, I want to say it's probably the vainest song I've ever heard Jesse write. I never ever heard Jesse like even perform. And even when he was doing the dance moves to the song as well. So we're going to play Friday nights at the bus stop by The Noise and we'll be back in part two after this. And we're back with part two and that was The Noise with Friday Nights at the Bus Stop. So Nigel, tell us about that song.
2: Why did you choose that song? I chose that song, well, firstly because I have a lot of respect for The Noise and for Jesse and, and the others. Um, but I primarily chose it because at the time that this song came out, um, there was literally nothing else to do in jib but to sit in a bus stop in a, in Marketplace Yeah. outside uh, what was then Fresh. So it was just funny that Jesse wrote a song about that, you know, sitting in a bus stop. At the time, Ocean Village was being built and there was literally nothing else for us. So it's it's funny. Yeah, it relates very well to, to that era of my life. Yeah. And it's great as well. It's like you mentioned, he just
1: took the song from the most simple thing. He made a song very effective. And I think everyone who even didn't like rock or anything from that era, just stuck to it. They're like, oh, this song is about pretty much my youth or my teenage years. I still listen to it now and I, I just have this vision of like 200, 300 kids just being in the marketplace. <laughs> so that's always stuck in my mind. A marketplace is still hot now, but maybe not as hot yeah. as it used to be back then. Because like you said, there was not literally nothing else to do and that was the Ocean Village, but still months from being built and being <laughs> completed as well. So it's a quite a long story there, but we won't dive into it. But anyway, as as you get older you mentioned the fact that you went to uni and obviously that when you go to uni and obviously with social media being what it is obviously the fact they can listen to something new or even see what things are happening in Gibraltar even what was your take on watching the music scene from afar
2: yeah well uni was a was a big change for me in uh, musically you know it opened my eyes to to different types of music that maybe i wouldn't have heard things such as fusion which i'm currently a very big fan of um, I would often attend a, a jam night on Sundays and there is where I really got to see some incredible out of this world musicianship um, with the likes of Andy Cortez, who's the, his, the, uh, the guitarist of James Bay. Um, he was a friend of mine. Um, we had a couple of people at our local pub who were currently touring with, with the likes of Rita Ora, for example. So I, I would jam with them weekly. And that really helped to improve my improve my skill, but also um, it allowed me to listen to other things that perhaps I wouldn't have heard. Yeah, uh, you know, if I would have stayed here, for example.
1: And obviously, the fact that you meet these people that work with the best of the best, like Richard or James Bay, who was back then, I don't wouldn't say they were the weather, like. The hottest thing ever, but they definitely are now. Mm. But what was it like to meet people that were working with these people? And considering how humble these people can be as well,
2: yeah, it was really good. They were always willing to have new people, you know, play with them. They, they were they didn't put any self importance on the, on themselves. They would chill out, and whenever they'd be called to play, they'd just get up and play with whoever, you know. Sometimes we'd know the song when we'd be on the stage, and then he'd say, "Hey, play this," you know, "play this riff in F, for example." And that's how it was, and it was. It really taught me how to improvise, which is yeah. one of the things I always like to do. Anyway, whenever I play a gig, I like to have a you know a solo that's maybe in, uh, improvised. Um, but it was really cool that these people were in you know industry professionals, yeah. and they were there on a Sunday night at a pub, you know, willing to play with anybody. That was really awesome.
1: And it shows you how much they want to give back to musicians who perhaps want to make it on that world stage as well.
2: Yeah, definitely, yeah. Uh, The other thing about uni was that um, my girlfriend studied music, music production, and we we lived together for the last two years of my my uni career. I did four years. Um, The last two we lived together, and on weekends um, we'd go to gigs, we'd see some of her mates perform, you know, music students, um, places, you know, like Fulham and Camden, um, really cool places playing really cool music. Yeah. Um, And that was amazing as well, because, again, I was listening to things, you know, bands playing originals um, that you probably wouldn't find here in the sense that the musicians were inspired by their own backgrounds. And some of their backgrounds were quite extraordinary and and maybe not your typical to, to Gibraltar.
1: I think the resurgence and ever since I thought everything changed like with when it come, came to original music we spoke about the noise during it from a young age but there was obviously the fact that This Side Up came along as well did it, then Midriff and many others it wasn't, wasn't just the young bands I think it was more the fact that okay we, we've got this platform it's called social media where we need to promote our own material or promote our gigs and obviously as I can mention, even though the gigs maybe now uh, were not, are not as attended as they used to be before. But before, like, everyone would just attend in their masses, even if it was just to see a cover band. And it worked to a certain degree. But it was, like, bands like All the Answers, which uh, Jerry was a part of and many other bands, you know. I think it was the fact that everything was starting to change when Facebook was starting to become this medium that, that we know today. Yeah, it, it works. you know, to a certain degree. But in London or any other place in the world, original music is like a norm it's like okay if you don't do your own stuff you can do your own covers fair enough yeah but if you have your original stuff you never know who's going to hear it yeah of course. sort of thing yeah. and i think that's what i can relate to that a lot with, with with social media with facebook i would say to every local musician like you if you have your original you never know who's listening if somebody shares it somebody works for i don't know universal or works for sony or works for roadrunner records or well, you never know yeah. And that's the the true magic of social media and YouTube and all these platforms as well.
2: Yeah, definitely. There, there was a promoter in London called Hotbox, um, which we are, we're currently in touch with now with The Views. Um, and they, they would often put out a lot of young bands, so much so that um, one one evening Jesse sent me a message. He was playing with the Raccoons back then. And he said, well, you know, would you and Cyan, my girlfriend, like to come and see us? I can't remember exactly where it was they were playing. Um, But we went along that night and in the basement of this very run down pub, I saw, you know, I saw Jesse play and I I met up with some old friends, Stuart Gavilla from Breed, who was a a friend of mine, a friend of my dad's. And it was really cool. It was like being back in Jib again. You know, the audience was Gibraltarians living in London. Uh, And that was another thing of London, another experience that I really enjoyed, you know, seeing some local people play live whenever possible.
1: And we, 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 one of the tracks that you chose is by Breed. Yeah. And we can talk about Breed a, a little bit in more in depth as well. The fact that they went out similar to many other bands, but I think they went worldwide and they think so many they did so many things that not many people even know of to this day. It's like they performed with Aussie, they performed with me, the best of the best mm. in music. So what was it like for you to see a dribbletarian band or a dribbletarian band based in London to take
2: to the world stage? Yeah, that it was very different because very often you see bands playing the likes of K-Smiths or well, back then it was a coach park you know but it was really cool to see them play in places like Camden and uh, West London all these these places and then knowing that they were Gibraltarian yeah. um, so like you know like I said at that, at that time Stuart was living in in London now I think he's he's in the process of moving here or, or possibly already here um, but I, I know he would often play gigs and I think back then he was with the Heretic Order so he was playing here and there. Um, funnily enough, actually, a, a friend of ours um, in, in the UK, a uni student, he plays in the band um, called uh, One Last Thrill. And one of their gigs, they met a Gibraltarian. So he was the, he was the sound guy, the Gibraltarian. Um, so I asked him you know, who was he Did you get his name He's, and my mate said yeah his name was Danny and he had uh, he had dreadlocks <laughs> I thought yeah I know him as Danny Felice who I think does live you know yeah that's music. what he
1: does for living yeah. yeah
2: so that that was quite funny because I think he was playing at the Underworld in Camden I can't remember and Danny was doing the sound that night probably
1: Danny moves around quite a lot yeah and he won't mind us saying that I think <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's like you mentioned it's the fact when you get to meet well people who probably like breed and or anything else, I remember once this was I think maybe 11 and having a, a breed sense uh, and breed 7 7 show on, mm. and I, I see this tourist walk by, I was like, oh, you know breed sound and I'm like, well yeah, the friends of mine, you know, so and he was like asking like the million dollar question, he was like, what are they like, I'm like, want to know the truth, and he's like, yeah 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 yeah, just like you and I. To be honest, they're the most humble you'll ever meet considering what they've done, you know. When you look at that track record, what they've done, it's like, it takes like a who's who of music as to who they've performed with and who they haven't performed with even. But it's all the inspirations that they have and they had at the time all combined into one and it works. And it's the same thing yeah. with the Heretic Order as well.
2: I think I attended that gig. That was at the... Uh... Just you know, past the runway in that. Yeah,
1: Bieloski. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah, it was a very rainy day. That it was the Insects album. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, good memories. Two thousand nine, if I recall, that that was ten years ago in December.
2: Yeah,
1: and I remember just the the day was flooded by rain, and everyone was thinking that it was going to be cancelled, but it wasn't. No, it was good. It was a very good gig, one of the best ones I've ever attended for sure. Mm. So we're gonna play Breed, and this is Loud Demora, which is a great track all around and one of the best, as I dare say. From anything I heard, and b- believe it or not, the first time I ever heard this track was in Kerrang as well. So well, it's got yeah. a very good story. But that's the story for whenever I get an interview done to me as well, or being conducted on um, myself. But anyway, Breed Seven, La Ultimora, and we'll talk about the track shortly after this. Enjoy it, guys. And that was Breed Seven with La Ultimora. So why that song in particular, Nigel? Of all the best songs, or great songs that Breed have.
2: Well, I mean, as I just mentioned to you, I wanted a range of different genres of music in my color in in my choices for this. Um, but that's, I think that's the first song I ever heard from Breed. Um, and it always, it, it stuck with me. It was heavier than the things I was listening to. I really enjoyed it. I like the different, uh, tones of voices in it as well. Um, you know, Paul can scream, but he can also sing in a very, you know, normal tone. So. That one especially because I think that's that's a good example of what breed are they. They are you know they they have various tones in in vocals, um, but also they sing in English and in Spanish. Yeah, and that song kind of depicts that quite well. There, I believe there's a Spanish version of that as well.
1: Yeah, I could be wrong. But. It's a it's, it's a great song all around. It, it doesn't matter what language it's sung it's still a brilliant song. One of my all-time favorites from that particular album, and even by Breed themselves. So, moving on. Obviously, you mentioned the different styles of music, and one of the styles of music I just say that's more relevant now as to what there is in the world, really is the fact that this particular band just started out of something and then it's transformed into themselves into probably the hottest thing in the music scene today, I dare say. And obviously we're talking about Jetstream. And obviously what was it like for you to see the early days of Jetstream transitioning on to now, considering that you're doing more or less the same kind of music as well?
2: Yeah, it was interesting. Uh, again, I, I think I have my first memory of seeing Jetstream, which was a summer nights gig, Um you know, many years ago, I remember Jesse. I think possibly joined them for for a song. I think it was Dakota. Um, you know, early Jetstream was was good as it is now. Um, you know, I'm no one to judge, but uh, their song choices were were just right for the audience. You know, the likes of the Killers, Kaiser Chiefs, yeah, they were what was in fashion then, and young people went out to hear them because their songs were what was what was styling yeah um so yeah it's been interesting to see jetstream evolve through the years because that's what they've done they've they've evolved to to an excellent band but early on they had it just right you know their song choices and their presence on stage everything about them yeah. was just right
1: and it's like you mentioned the song choices i think even though it will be a testament to this it's the fact that it, it was fun to see like all the all, like people who meet, maybe not even people they, that they knew but new audiences just enjoying the covers and then obviously when they transition uh, they tr- made that transition to have their own originals in 2014 it still has the same response you know people you see people sharing their tracks on online on social media instagram all your name is but it works to a certain degree it was like everything that they did was something relevant to that time. Like yeah. you mentioned, The Killers were hardest things in the, back then. And then I remember seeing them doing a cover of um, We Were Young oh, yeah. by FUN like, like a few years ago in 2013 or 2012, I Right. And I saw them perform that and I was amazed, you know, because it was such a different song. Mm-hmm. and Like a different song, not for them, but different song for what there was in the charts, but they actually performed it to perfection and made it rockier. And it worked, you know. That's, yeah. It's that dynamic that made them, that it's like, oh, they can actually do this and then they can do stuff like stereophonics and it works. Yeah. It's that dynamic. So what was it like for you to see that, like like to see the fact that they perform similar songs to what you guys were doing, but at the same time with a twist and maybe even become inspired by what you were seeing?
2: Yeah, it was, it was good because, like you said, they were taking originals and they were making uh, an effort and putting work into making it their own. That was cool. We, with Hamburger Thieves, we tried that with a couple of songs. We we did it with You Somebody and Club Can't Handle Me. We, we did our own mashup of that. And that was kind of inspired by what people were doing, but also what audiences wanted to hear. Yeah. So if you remember, initially, Hamburger Thieves were a punk rock band. Yeah. And towards the end of kind of the band, we were playing a lot more commercial stuff. In fact, uh, the very first song that I suggested we should play when I first saw the group was uh, a Maroon 5 song, uh, Harder to Breathe. Then we, we also did a cover of Ruby. We did some Chili Peppers. We broke away from that punk rock you know, uh, genre because people were listening to other things. Yeah. And there was a very small selection of people that like that style of music even now with reviews we kind of we play some of it but we are also uh, we're doing a lot of um, sort of punk or just rock covers of pop songs yeah Um, but again all that was inspired by that movement that was happening where where bands like as you said like Jetstream were doing their own covers of of songs in their own in their own style.
1: Yeah, and one I think when you mentioned the fact that Hamburger Thieves were a punk rock band, the always the biggest memory I have in my head is every time you do, uh, Good Charlotte. I forget the name of the song now. The yeah, anthem. I think it's something to do with money. Is it the end? Oh, uh, girls like. Girls GIF. like boys. That's it. I couldn't actually stick it in my head. But I just remember that because then you, uh, Sean would point to Jerry and then make the song about Jerry, and yeah, j- yeah. it just works. And that's pretty much what my fondest memory of Hamburg is. <laughs> and the track, the track you chose by Jetstream, is actually a very fun memory for me. A little personal story. Um, I had just done been, been f- finished interviewing Nolan and. I just heard no one saying, "Oh, you're going to come to the sunburn, right?" So I thought nothing of it. You know, I thought, "Oh, what's happening at the sunburn?" I just thought probably drinks or something with the band, or just getting to know the band even more, even though I knew them quite well. But surprisingly yeah. enough, they were recording the music video to F Five, which is a great music video all around. And I was just amazed because you know, you, you, I'm like thinking in my head, and I still think it all the time. Who am I to get pretty much like a world premiere of this brand new track that they're going to release? Yeah, and it was the first original as well at the time. Right. So it I was like. Really? What? And he's like, oh, you just listen to it, tell us what you think. And this, I was just very honest, you know, just, I was just amazed and I still am to this day. So I've actually seen that happen, you know, in every sense of the word. Yeah. Because it shows you, it showed me even the hard work that bands will need to go through, like you, whether it's a local band or an international band, to just make a music video work. Yeah. So it was like, God, how many takes is it going to be? There's a funny story to the triangle one, which I'll get into some other day. But the one for F5 was the one that stands out for me as to how great it was and how great to, it was for me to get that world premiere sort of thing. Yeah, And a very humbling experience, I dare say, still to this day for me. Hmm. So I'll am going i ask you the question now before I introduce it, but why did you choose F5, for, for, considering that, that Just Stream's repertoire is now becoming larger?
2: Yeah, well, they have a lot of good songs, so that was initially hard to choose. Um, I chose it because it's very catchy and I think that, you know, most Gibraltarians my age, maybe slightly older, would know the song because, uh, you know, Jetstream have marketed it well. They play it live. People know the words. Um, and it's a very well written song in the sense that people know it and it's easy yeah. to sing to and uh, and it's enjoyable. And it's very much um, what you would expect to you know this song you'd expect it to go far yeah in the sense that that market is always Far more open than other styles, I think,
1: and it works as well. Yeah. It, it looks like something like I remember initially when I saw it, like one style. I saw the final product. I thought to myself, it looks like something any other band, like a Maroon Five or any other band yeah, in the world, exactly. would actually do, and it works. You know, to a certain degree, and still to this day, almost five years later, since it's released, it even still works for me. one us to being one of the tracks I play the most by the band as well. Yeah. So we're gonna play Maroon Five. We're gonna be back with with two more tracks, and I think totally the difference. You know, it interacts from one to the other but for now just enjoy um jet stream and this is f5 enjoy it guys Jetstream with F5 I hope you enjoyed that if you never know, check out the music video that Nigel and I just spoke about to YouTube it. it's highly recommended by both of us as to the production and obviously the lyrics the the song and even the track all around is fantastic that's all we're going to say if, you know, if you've never seen the music video anyway so moving on obviously we can't talk about local music but we can't even talk about the bands that we've mentioned today but we need to talk about Nigel's band as well so we're here to talk about the views so tell us about the views obviously that transition as to how it evolves into maybe Destiny playing a part that you're performing with Sean again as well
2: yeah yeah
1: and Jerry and Jerry too yeah um, let's not forget Jerry before he unleashes one of his dogs and- <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah it's, it's, uh, it's quite a long story really because it's had phases in a sense so it started in, uh, I was in the second year of uni, which must have been around 2014. Um, Sean messaged me, you know, just to ask me how I was and said, are you willing to start things up again? Because I want to get back on, you know, back and perform. So obviously I, I jumped to her I said, yeah, of course, you know, we should do it. We had a fan base already
1: <coughs> um, me.
2: because people, people were always asking, you know, what's happening to hamburgers? Are you guys getting back? What's happening? Um, So when when Sean approached me, I I said yes instantly. And we were lucky because Jerry's dad has a room in uh, Lathbury Barracks where he plays with his band. So we already had a room because Jerry was allowed to use that room. In fact, that's still the room that we currently have. Um, So the three of us met, it was me, Sean and Jerry. We met and we had a bit of a jam and Sean sang along, you know, warmed up his vocals again. And then we thought, well, we need a bassist. Um, our old bassist wasn't wasn't interested, so we put out an ad, and we had uh, Andy Arundel come along, yeah. who uh, was a very talented bassist. And um, at the time, we were playing things that weren't his his usual. You know, yeah. we playing some heavy things like "Killing in the Name" by Rage Against the Machine. So andy came along he was very willing to play we together the four of us we drafted a set list um which kind of it borrowed things from hamburger thieves but also moved forward with the times yeah um we played our first gig at rock on the rock that was really interesting because i was returning to a stage that i hadn't played in about eight years so we played that gig and we started up again you know uh, a fan base um, people were interested in us and wanted to hear us, at the likes of Lord Nelson and yeah. other places. Uh, then Andy, Andy had another project going on called Jinx, yeah. um, sort of like a bluesy rock and roll band, and that was more him. So when when he decided he wanted to make that his prime, we understood, and so Andy departed, uh, and it was just the three of us again, you know, me, Sean, and Jerry. So again, we we put out an ad. And we had uh, Nick Alul come along. Um, so with Nick, we kind of redrafted the set list to accommodate songs that he liked, uh, the styles he liked. You know, he he was a fan of uh, Muse. So we, we put in a couple of Muse songs. Um, with Nick, we played a good few few gigs as well. Brock on the Rock, we did The Ivy. Um, some, you know, I think we did Lord Nelson as well. And then, you know, Nick left us uh primarily because of differences in the band which which I won't get into,
1: um,
2: yeah, but the important thing is that he he left, and we we all respected it and understood why he left so so when he left, we remained friends it, you know Nick is is a good friend recently um we shared the stage when we played. Uh, where where Panic Station joined, it was yeah. Kyle's Kyle's gig. Yeah, um, we shared the stage, and it was like he never left. You know, there was no fallout. There was, there was nothing. Nick just said he needed to to move on to other things. There were some things that we weren't really in agreement about, and it was very smooth. And you know, I'm being honest about this. I'm not covering anything up. It was literally that smooth. A smooth transaction. This is definitely yeah. So Nick left at an awkward time because we were starting to write originals. And we kind of had to scrap the things we had written and re-look at them. He left at a really bad time. Um, But then we had, of course, Sam come along, Sam Cotton, who's our current bassist. Um, He is, well, primarily a guitarist. Um, And we had toyed with the idea of having two guitars, but we would still be missing the bass. And I think we have a a bassist problem in Jib. There's not enough bassists. I can relate to that. So Sam said, you know, I'll, I'll play the bass. So he did. And with him, we, you know, again, we've we've played quite a few gigs. He's been with us for about a year and a bit, possibly. Um, we have played some really, really good stuff. We are we're really exploring. Sam likes his effects. Um, he's got a big pedal board where he plays around with different, you know, things that he can do on yeah. the bass. I'm the opposite. I'm very simple. I like maybe four or five effects, you know, basic effects like overdrive, a tuner, uh, Crybaby. That's it. Um, and with him currently, we are, you know, we're happy in the sense that we are really pushing forward. We're making ground in terms of writing originals and even things like making our own versions of songs. So we're currently covering um, "I Can't Feel My Face" um, by the weekend. We we do a cover of that. We do a cover of "Skyfall," the James Bond song, and it helps when the whole band is in tune and willing yeah. to to change the song you know around to our style. So that's kind of the story up to now really uh, it's been you know it's, it's been a quite a journey for us because we've we've always had basis problems yeah you know, the rest
1: of I us, think it almost spans in but it can relate to that even dramas
2: as well yeah yeah <laughs> the rest of us have always remained intact always been willing I mean it's harder now because because Jerry has you know Jerry has a girl uh, Jerry's married Sean's married. Um, I'm you know working which I wasn't when I was a teenager yeah. I have a demanding job I'm a teacher and it's it's a lot harder now at this age I feel to for all of us to find the right time to, to go there and rehearse
1: welcome so. to adult what they say yeah. <laughs> that's pretty yeah. much it but you mentioned the fact that you guys are put, like do your own covers and obviously not with a twist like, to make them as original as possible you possibly can is the idea there to maybe re- perhaps record them and release them as an EP sort of thing?
2: or maybe um, along yeah. with the originals as well for now, there's there's no plans to record our covers, mostly because of the you know the work that goes into the licensing. Should we want to distribute the song, yeah. Um, so for now, covers we're kind of we're not working as hard with covers. We're working harder with the originals. Um, we have an original which we haven't recorded yet, but we've rehearsed a number of, t- of times. Um, and that original came from some notes that. Uh, well, some, you know, rough song notes that Sean found that he wrote back in the Hamburger Thieves days. So it's a very uh, sort of teenage song, kind of. It sounds very much like like what you'd expect Blink to play. Maybe not so much the style and the chords, but more the lyrics. In fact, it references Blink-182 as well. Um, So we, you know, Sean dug that out and we've worked on that to make it a kind of... uh, Bit of a ballad because it's quite a slow song. Now the issue we have with that is we don't really want to release it before coming out with something that's not a ballad. Yeah. So currently we're working on songs that are more to our style because this one is kind of it's not our style. It's a bit like Avenge Sevenfold playing Dear God. Yeah. You know it's Agreed. the it's the special one that's not usually their style. Yeah. Um so we're holding back on this one for a little while while we get some other songs done. And Once that's done, we plan on you know, possibly if we're lucky enough to play the GMF, for example, which is
1: what I was going to get to. Yeah, then we obviously could... the clause in the MTV Dribbles calling involves the fact that you need to have original material now. Now, the days of back of the old GMF regime have changed, obviously, with MTV Dribbles Recalling and Neon an Angel, but it works, you know, to a certain degree. I think it makes fans want to work hard and push hard, yeah. to try and get that slot because it is a very good slot and it is. Uh, so, uh, I think it's a slot to be recognised for people who have maybe not seen your music before, Definitely. or heard your music before as well. So there's more intrigue, and I, I just say, even in in the last two years since um, Neon Angel took over, there's been more people willing to see the local bands for that primary that reason. Because if you listen to like a Jetstream song or Leila Bougeja or Layla Roseband or anything related to that, you're gonna think, oh, where's this been? Is, have they got an album? Or, or have they got, or maybe releasing an EP? You just search for them online. You do whatever. Mm. And it's actually worked to that advantage. And I've heard of more bands that are working on that material, primarily for that reason, just to get that slot. So, yeah, perhaps MTV Rules Calling is in your future.
2: You never know. Yeah, that's the, that's the plan for this year. That's the aim to have enough material, uh, not necessarily recorded. Although we are in the process. Uh, we're lucky that Sam has good uh, you know good equipment for recording. And at his house, we have recorded some demos of things. Um, but that's the aim for this year, definitely, to try and get out there with originals, try and make it to to uh, the MTV stage. If not this year, then you know next year. But we need to set ourselves a target so that we can we can work hard this year. Otherwise, yeah, we'd slack. So, uh,
1: but you never know. No, I think all things are possible in in life. And obviously, we're going to play a track now, which is very different. And obviously, considering what the last track is going to be, people are going to be like a bit WTF. I'm not going to say the three words, but <laughs> I don't want to get into trouble. <laughs> but it's one of those things that it stands out in every sense of the word. And obviously, the music video to this is also what we talked about. It's simple, but it's effective and it works. And obviously, it's Dead City Radio's Keep them Coming. So tell us
2: why that song in particular. Well, I really like the vibe it has. Yeah, so do Although I, actually. I like the, it sounds like a typical 80s song. Um, just everything about it the riff the the vocals the high pitched vocals you'd expect from Led Zeppelin and, and the likes um, everything about it I just I really like it because of that it's a kind of rock vintage song yeah um, I know I know the guys obviously I, I know um, I know James and he's he's an excellent vocalist and for me to leave him out would be you know would be a sin I think I think He's, he's excellent, so he does deserve to, to be here on, on this.
1: Podcast. Well, I always say to many people, I don't think there is a straight touch as it was. I don't even think there's a GLMS. Like the fact that I, re, I rebranded it and brought, brought it back with the blessing of the three previous regime, from the three from the previous regime, rather, without James Gulato. I don't like back then when I was 15, 16, it was all murder of Pros with Ron Sampera and mm. obviously Stu Whitwell from Jetstream, Glenn Zimetz, and obviously Jonathan Shepard Caputro. I, and that was what changed for me and obviously, I understand why people still to this day, even when it's not um Murder of Pros, it's Voodoo Monkey, then it's not Voodoo Monkey's that's it's radio. Yeah. And that transition, it's like you said, it's very eighties, the pitch is there and the and the tools are right there in the right place. Yeah. And the same thing with that music video. It's it's all recorded with the GoPro as well. So yeah. it's like yeah. mm. <laughs> so,
2: and it's, it's recorded at Rock on the Rock, which is yeah, you know even better. That it's got that
1: vibe to it as well. Yeah. I dare say it could be rock and the rock anthem, but that's just me. But I wouldn't bring, I'll ask for more Pink Floyds, but that's just me. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so we're going to play Dead Sits Radio with Keep 'em Coming, and I hope you enjoy it. It's from probably the, one of the best EPs, I dare say, in recent years from the local music scene. So enjoy it if you're into the genre. Even if you're not, it's still local music. So what's not to enjoy? Enjoy it, guys. And we're back with more local music and Straight Outage Water. And that was Dead City Radio with Keep Coming. And uh, I wouldn't actually say that out loud at Rock and the Rock, is not, you'll get more Pink Floyds, bring props to your table. But anyway, <laughs> a long story there. <laughs> uh, we're going to talk a little bit more. Obviously, we mentioned the youth movements that was going on when Nigel was starting out in the scene. Obviously, there's still a youth movement now, as I say. But obviously, this young girl, the young woman, has taken local music by storm. Obviously, considering what the genre that she does is, and obviously, it's country music and country music, which, to my knowledge, generally not many bands in Gibraltar have ever done. But she's actually done it to, in a very good way. Of course, we're talking about the Leila Rose Band, of course, Leila Buzheja, surrounded by probably the elite in local music as well. So tell us about Leila Buzheja. What was it like when you saw her for the first time?
2: Well, I've I never met her. Um, you know, I I wouldn't be able to recognize her and I don't think she'd know me. Um, so really, the first time that I I heard the band was at the GMF or, or you know Gibraltar Calling, possibly two years ago. I can't remember. Yeah, 2017 when they opened yeah. up. Yeah. Um, and I really liked their style. Um, I'm not really a country fan, but I appreciated what they were doing, and I and I think they did it very well. So so like I said, I'm I'm not into country. I like things like Blackstone Cherry that have you know a country vibe. Yeah. But proper country, uh, I've. Probably never actually heard proper country, so listening to them uh, live was was really good for me because again I'm I'm always open to hear new styles and to hear that I really appreciated it. Um, obviously the song the song I chose tore it up. Um, again, it was one of the first ones that I heard in in that set. Probably I might have come later for whatever whatever reason. Um, but that's really it. I like I like their style and I previously hadn't explored it at all.
1: Uh, did it amaze you the fact that she was so young? And then obviously to see the fact that she was surrounded obviously by her dad, Jonathan, Chris Cavija, Tristan Tona, Victor Garderong and of course Chris, Chris Garderong as well. So what was it like to see someone so young to be surrounded by among these musicians?
2: Yeah, well, well it did surprise me that she was so young and it very much reminded me, as you said, of, of my days where... Um, you know, essentially kids were were out playing big stages. Um, You know, the likes of, for example, Evan Torrente as well, who we haven't mentioned, who was also a friend of mine. Doing Um, wonderful
1: stuff with Motherhood and My Dad.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And, you know, these young people who were possibly, I think I was about 16, so they were roughly that age as well. I'm I'm a bit older than them. Um, And seeing that now with Leila, it's, it's like history repeating itself. Um, so I appreciate that, that she's doing that so young. Yeah. And you mentioned Evan,
1: obviously we can't talk about Evan without and obviously Patrick and Jack without talking about Headwise. We like the ones also part of that youth movements as well who we came along, had their own originals and could compete with the big guns, which was the more with the more established bands as well. But it's I think it's in the last ten years, it, when you think about what the local music scene has become, in a good way and a bad way, there's a lot of positives and there's a lot of negatives. But the positive is that there is a lot of Gibraltarian flags flying out there with the likes of Patrick, with the likes of Simon Numas, which we could get into, and I think record an entire episode considering like, the facts, he's been obviously signed up with his new new band, uh, Big Calloway, uh, King Calloway, not Big Calloway, by BMG Records and all these things. It's like, wow. You mm-hmm. know, and obviously that album is dro- dropping on Friday as well. Little plug there. But it's those sort of things that make you realize how much they're willing to take it, you know, not just even if you stay local, if you go abroad, even it just shows you that the perseverance is there to try and make it big, yeah, worldwide. Definitely, yeah. And obviously, last question before we play Larry Rose Band is going to be where do you see the local music scene going at the moment? You mentioned obviously the fact that crowds are not as big as they used to be, but where do you see it going at the moment?
2: Well, in all honesty, I don't see it picking as much momentum as it had when I was a teenager. The reason I say that is because I I work at Bayside School and I I often hang around in the music room. Um, But I don't see as many kids interested in playing as I did when I was in school. Uh, Maybe we're just having a bit of a dip. Maybe that will pick up again. But I can tell you that at at the moment there are possibly three decent-ish guitarists at Bayside uh, no bassists, absolutely no bassists, no one wants the to
1: same, play. the same like the adults. Yeah, so
2: this past Christmas, I had to play the bass at the Christmas concert. Uh, there's a good few drummers, but I remember back in my day, we were literally fighting to play the Christmas concert because there were so Excuse many me. of us. Um, so honestly, I don't think it's going to be as great as it was. Um, possibly because... The likes of technology i don't know yeah. video games maybe you know social media kids are maybe less interested in, in that in, in live music i can tell you the kids that do play the guitar at school are very interested and are very keen Yep. Yeah. but they they're so few in number that i question you know is there going to be anything come out of that ideally yes i'd hope so but you know let's say out of out of the 10 guitarists that were in my school year only really you know, three or four actually continued to do live music and all that.
1: Yeah, and obviously, with the resurgence of you know, resurgence of as well, like it, it's everything else, you know, the, you, these kids want to learn music, but you never know when the time comes when it's like 15, 16, like you mentioned, whether they all continue, whether it's just a skill that they want to have, you never, just never know. I think there's a lot of positives out there, like we, we spoke about, but at the same time, a lot of negatives when it comes to promoting local music, even. We need to do it more. And well, which is obviously the segue which I always mention at the end of the show. So, Nigel, end of the show. Thank you yeah. for joining us. No Five great tracks. And obviously, wish you the very best of luck with the views. Obviously, Thank we look forward to that original track that you just mentioned as well. Obviously, original tracks, even if some follow as well. So guys, this is Straight Outage Water. The show is sponsored by Coca-Cola and we can thank the good people at Sikonian Speed for that, especially Guy Bovdano and Sarajah Award for always willing to, willing to cooperate with the GLMS and obviously with everything that we do and everything like when it comes to funds or even having a, a show like this sponsored by Coca-Cola. It's a big thing for us as well. So guys, we'll be back in two weeks with a special guest and we're not going to give too much away about who our guests are, but it's actually a band this time. It's not actually not an artist artist or not even a guitarist it's actually a band for you're not a singer songwriters this time so guys geek, keep supporting local talent because when you do you're keeping local music alive we'll be back in 14 and have a good week